We're in the Gospel of Mark, which we should finish up by the end of summer. Today we've got Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, where we read, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him, for they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and he was reclining at the table, a woman came, we're we're told in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, that this woman is none other than Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who they also lived there in Bethany. Mary came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why is the ointment, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Then he goes on to cite Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse, verse 11. He says, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. And and based on Jesus' teaching, this is not a callous throwaway statement. He says, you ought to do good to the poor, but you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. And Judas sought an opportunity to betray him. High in the Himalayan mountains, in the high pasture lands of India and Tibet, there grows uh, spikenard is what it's called. It's about a three-foot plant with pink bell-shaped flowers and many hairy spikes that protrude out from from its roots. It's a pretty plant. I, I looked at some images of it. We could say it's a hidden gem because the oil that is extracted from the root and the stem of the spike nard is a rich amber red in color and is extremely fragrant and has been used for millennia as as an anointment and as a perfume since it was gathered in such a remote place and had to be transported over such great distance it cost a small fortune and here we have mary pouring 11 ounces now think about that i mean virtually a can of soda 11 ounces 
That is one and one-third cups of milk. That is two bowls of cereals worth of milk. And she is, she's pouring the very best of the perfumes in that day. The historical sources, there is a Roman author by the name of Pliny the Elder. He was a botanist and I mean, he, he was kind of a jack of all trades. He, he writes like around 50 AD. He says that the best perfumes in that day would come in alabaster flasks, which I didn't have any idea what alabaster is, but apparently it's a white stone from which many vases and, and bottles are formed. But you would take the, the flask and you would break the neck of it so that it was used only once. If you think of a super expensive bottle of wine, you can only use it once. Here we have a super expensive jar of perfume. You say, how much is how much is this? This is thirty thousand dollars, maybe worth. Not many people are willing to blow a year's worth of salary in five minutes, except this Mary. So either she was filthy rich, fabulously wealthy, she had money to burn, or much more likely this $30,000 worth of bottle of perfume had been something that had been passed down for generations in her family as a family heirloom that she passes, it's been passed down to her. What stands out to me about the passage is the sheer spontaneity of it all. I mean, you get this sense that she's sort of caught up in this in the moment. She throws caution to the wind. She, she's impulsive. She's not doing this cost-benefit analysis of carefully calculating values and quantities. She just she grabs the most valuable possession that she has in the world, and she wastes it on Jesus. And the question that went through my head as I was preparing the sermon a couple of weeks ago is, what have I wasted on Jesus? How much have I wasted on Jesus? Let's look at a few, I guess, different, different thoughts here. There, there are actually two anointing accounts in the gospel records. There's this one. And there's another that happened earlier in the life of Jesus that is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 12. It's, it's kind of a famous story where a woman of ill repute, she's called, called quote-unquote, a sinful woman. We, she was probably a prostitute. She comes to Jesus, she anoints his feet, and then she lets down her hair, and she rubs the anointing oil into his feet. Then Jesus chides the homeowner where he's, he's staying. He says, He says, he who has been forgiven little loves little. And by implication, those who have been forgiven much, it's it's fair to say that, that Mary loved much like this other woman because she had been forgiven so much, had had been shown so much mercy, and she, she loved so much because she had been loved so much that we... We met another woman earlier in the Gospel of Mark. The very immediately previous woman to Mary here was back in a, a chapter 12. It was a little old woman. 
a widow, as she was called, with a couple of insignificant coins. The two copper coins that were, I think I told you that they were, they were less than a penny. They were so thin that if you laid them in the palm of your hand and you blew, they would fly off like a feather. And this little old lady, she takes her entire life savings, which consists of these two coins, and she liquidates her entire net wealth, and she puts it into the, the temple treasury. And what Jesus does in both of these instances is he says, that's the example. Mary's done something beautiful for me. And I've got to think that surely, surely you have had at least a few moments like this in your life before. Haven't you had moments uh, when you felt like you simply had to do something to demonstrate your love for God? You were caught up in the moment, you were in the grips of love, and you just, you just wanted him to know how much you loved him and how grateful you are for him. And, and, and you just, you had to do something. But then, truth be told, those moments have been far too few. Sometimes you've procrastinated those moments away. I, I have found that almost every time in my life when I, I was gripped by God to be fabulously and extravagantly generous, every time that I procrastinated, there's like this little voice inside of me that says, you've got to do this, Brad, you've got to do it now. And then there's this other little voice inside of me which says, are you sure? You know, let's give things a little more time here. Aren't there, aren't there better ways to express your devotion? Isn't this a little bit, a little bit rash? A, a couple in their mid-40s who work in inner city L.A. Were, were visiting the church on Sunday. They had abandoned all, all normal life in order to care for abandoned children and those who are living under the care of drug-addicted homeless parents. You see the pictures there of their muddy little faces and and the little girl who sits in what looks like a gutter. Uh, Jim, a man in the congregation, has been listening intently. He believes that this is a cause that is just. He believes that this is a couple who is sincere. He believes that it would be a moral outrage to say no to this request of theirs for financial support. He, he believes that he should donate $100. Why that number? Well, he's not sure. But he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he should, he should give that amount but he doesn't have the cash on him. He could write a check, but his wife just purchased an airline ticket, and he's not sure there's enough money in the count. And, and what if there isn't? Then he would have to pay the $7.50 overdraft fee. Um, he'll just get online um, later in the afternoon and, and, and transfer it into, in, into their, their account. The next thing that Jim knows is it's Wednesday. He's driving to work, and he remembers the presentation about the, the little kids at church. And somehow the desire to give generously doesn't press so forcefully now upon him. Uh, you know, that seems to be how it works with us. And no, I'm not telling you that you ought to put a dime more into the offering plate. 
But you know what Jesus does say? He says, what you do for the least of these, and by that he's talking about disadvantaged or underprivileged Christians, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. And I've got to think that, that Jesus would call it beautiful when we take care of, of our brothers and sisters in the, in the church even who have fallen on hard times and are unemployed, I have to think that Jesus would call that a beautiful thing and he would be very pleased if we would just stop the calculating and just do it. Okay, a major theme in the Gospels are, is that the, the women in the stories, they usually understand at a deeper level what's going on than the men. And uh, the, the apostles, the 12 apostles, they, they don't understand the mercy of God in Jesus. And it seems like they, they really struggle to understand the, the, true, the true value of things. Let me use an example of this. What if during the worship service next week, the, the elders of the church come up onto the chancel or behind the pulpit and they say, well, we, we, we would like to honor Pastor Cheney for his faithful 12 years of service here at All Saints. And they, they hand me a, a little package that I unwrapped and, and open up. It's a Rolex watch. 24-karat gold, Rolex with, with diamonds on the inside of it. You know, it's... You're thinking, is this Benny Hinn Ministries here? <laughs> is this Creflo Dollar that... And so I, being the astute pastor that I am, I kind of sense the discomfort in the room. And, and so I say, Shh, hold, hold on, I, I, I know what you're thinking. It's a lot of money. But what I want you to know is that I'm worth every penny of it. <laughs> what a maniac. That's what Jesus does. And maybe the reason that she blows so much money on him is because she realizes that here's a man who's worth every penny of it. Then we get to the part of the unintended consequences. Verse 7. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, I imagine those words absolutely took her breath away. She'd be like, What? Body burial? I wasn't... I had no idea. Like, she's done far more than she realizes. She pours it over over his head, and then John's gospel says that she pours it also over his feet. And what what she ended up doing was she anointed him from head to toe, his whole entire body in preparation for... For death. Now, we the readers who understand, who know the end of the story, we understand that she's done something even bigger than this. Because who is it in the Bible that gets anointed? Well, dead people, dead corpses certainly do, but, but certain living people uh, experience anointing. 
when you are being commissioned for an official office, you experience anointing. If you are being commissioned as a priest, and if you are being commissioned as a king. And so this anointing, if you know the story, identifies Jesus as the priest king who is going to go to the grave, yes, but he's not going to go there as some helpless, pitiful victim. He is going to go as a conquering priest king who conquers death, the anointed son of David, who kicks the devil in the mouth, who, who kicks his teeth out. And this anointing is what is preparing him for his triumph. I like that part. <laughs> there's somebody who doesn't like that part and that is Judas. He he makes did you notice immediately after this somewhat scandalous, you're just not supposed to have foreign women touching you uh, hanging around you at the dinner table interestingly enough, first century culture the women wouldn't actually be in the, the, the eating area, the dining room with the men they were supposed to be someplace else Judas, immediately after this, makes his decision to betray the Lord. The the devil, who is going to have his teeth kicked in in a couple of days, it says, fills his heart. It's it's almost like Mary's love pushes him over the edge. He can't take it anymore. And we see one of the most ironic contrasts of discipleship. Here you have a woman who takes her most valuable possession valuable possession in the entire world and she she gives it to a man and here you have a man who sells out Jesus Christ for how much for, for like next to nothing Judas sold Jesus out for for nearly nothing finally my favorite part of this passage is unsurprisingly enough the smell They say that smell is the most powerful sense for bringing back memories. There's something about the olfactory bulb in the brain's limbic system and how it forever links the scent of blackberry cobbler to your grandmother's kitchen. Um, I mean, when you think about special scents in your life and how they they take you back to yesteryear, yesterday for me, I don't know what it is about the mornings in Georgia. I grew up in Arizona, but all of our extended family were in Atlanta. And every summer, my sister and I would travel out. And probably the highlight of every summer was waking up really early with my granddaddy. And um, there's just a very musty smell in the air in a place that's so humid and has so much vegetation, trees, and plants growing. And and whenever I, I catch that smell, I think about about going out and and fishing with my grandfather. Scent brings us back to where we used to be. Um, If this event took place as we believe that it did on Wednesday, and if Jesus died on Good Friday, and if there's 11 ounces of ointment that is is poured on him, then I hope you realize it was this scent that he carried with him to his grave. I don't want to get overly sentimental, but it's pretty likely that when he was being flogged and beaten 
the aroma of this anointing would have still been there. I mean, even when he was hanging on the cross, blood dripping down his face into his nostrils, the air around Jesus Christ would still have contained a trace of Mary's love. And when Joseph of Arimathea takes his body off of the cross and carries it to, the, to his own family tomb, and there's the smell of stench and, and, and death, there would still be this, this fragrant amber aroma that could be faintly detected around Jesus Christ. Maybe the best response to this passage is to simply tell Jesus that this is the kind of relationship you want to cultivate with him. You want a life that that does things just simply because you are in love with Christ and a life that does things that last. You want the kind of relationship with God which allows you to give without thinking about it, without procrastinating over it. Just this unselfish, uncalculating, unashamed devotion. And that's not where you're at. But that's where you want to be. And if that is where you want to be, well then, then you need to tell him that. It's true, very few things last in, in this life. Very, very few things last. I was I grew up such a big Atlanta Braves fan, and I found out uh, this morning after my, my run that uh, Pete Van Weeren, the 30-plus years uh, broadcaster for the Atlanta Braves, he passed away last night. Um, I grew up on listening to Pete Van Weeren's calls of the Atlanta Braves because cause they were the only show in town, the only game on, on TV back in the, in the 80s, and Pete Van Weeren's gone. Very few things last, but this one did. This act of devotion did, and it it simply serves as an example of how much Jesus Christ is worth. He's worth every penny of it, and it's because Mary understood that. That's why I remember her deed, and that's why, here it is, we're in Boise, Idaho in 2014 on, what is today, August the 3rd, and yet two thousand plus years later we're still talking about this deed as we talk about the the gospel and we do so grateful to god that this this woman shows us the true valuation of things